0: I want to talk to you this morning on of first Corinthians, the last chapter, chapter 16, some of the last few words that Paul shares with the Corinthians. And I want to use this as our, as our, as our, as our title for this morning, tough words for tough times, tough words for tough times. Uh, there's been a lot talked about this morning, and we know on several levels that these are for us as a nation, for us as individuals, for our community, and to varying degrees in our lives. These are, these are tough times. And, you know, final words are often important words. And when, when I end a service or a Bible study, I try to say something meaningful at the end because none uh, of the last words are what you leave people with. And Paul recognized that as well here as he chose very carefully how he would close out this, this letter of 1 Corinthians. In the middle of the last chapter, chapter 16, uh, there are just two short verses that I want to look at this morning and uh, and I think these two verses provide for us some 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 challenging uh, words to to uh, uh, give us some very clear guidelines as to how to move forward in life during ch- any challenging season, but given the the difficulties that we all face and that that, that loom all around us uh, and so there there are uh, basically five simple imperatives that Paul lays out that, that he feels the believers here at the church at Corinth need to hear. They need to hear them. They need to heed them. They need to remember these words if they want their future faith and their life together as the church to be both what they would want and what God would want for them. And the verses are these in verse 13 and, and 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 16. And uh, He says this, be on your guard, Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Now, there's a couple things you have here. Number one, you have these five commands, uh, and they divide basically two major concepts. And the first four commands, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, they go together together. And then the the, the, the the uh last one stands alone. So those first four stand together, the last one stands alone. And together these these five statements or these five commands describe what might be call, we might we describe as as two sides of what it means to be a, a Christian and two two sides or two perspectives as to what it means to be in Christian fellowship or to be the church. And both are important and and they're similar to what Gary Smalley and John Trent refer to as the two sides of love in their work on marriage and the family. Because on the one side, one hand is is the tough side, and on the other hand is the tender side. And uh, to live a a fulfilled personal life and to experience, uh, as I pray, we are a healthy and joyful church life together, requires that we be two things, that we be tough-minded but also, in other words, that we think clearly and that we think soundly. And that's so important now going forward because we're bombarded with so much falsehood and so much information. We're overwhelmed and a lot of foolishness and a lot of, a lot of lies and a lot of myths all around us. So we need to be tough-minded to think clearly and to believe soundly, but we also need to be tender-hearted and we need to continue to extend compassion and forgiveness to others in a self-denying Jesus, kind of, of love. Uh, imagine how bad it could be when if we reverse that, right? And as Christians and as the church, we become uh, weak-minded and tough-hearted. If you look around you in the church today, you see situations where people are indeed that—they are weak-minded. In other words, they're open to to all kinds of, of, of negative energy, but they're also uh, tough-hearted, and they're they're not being motivated by love. When we're weak on on on. Bedrock biblical convictions, but we're hard on other people, right? And so let, let's let's look this morning at this important balance that we need in order to do church uh, in a biblical sense, and in order to live our lives as Christians. As we, um, you know, it's 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 been posited by certain people um, who uh, are, 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 are thoughtful people that we are. Experiencing what might be, for many of us to a certain degree, the new normal, that life may not go back to what we are accustomed to for quite some time, if ever. And uh, the world has changed and is changing, and we had no biblical uh, promise from God that it wouldn't, and that it, things would always be, be the way we wanted them to be. As a matter of fact, as we read Scripture, we understand that we get the picture from, from, from the biblical record that things between the first century when Jesus went back to be with the Father and the church was born, between that and whatever time Jesus returns again, that things would at some at various points get progressively worse. And so we certainly uh, should not be surprised, but as we move forward, we need to be armed with these truths. And so this balance of being tough-minded and tender-hearted was needed at Corinth, and I I suspect it's going to be needed for us as well as we move forward. And there's the two... Here's the deal. So the, the two major... Visions, The first one is this, we must be tough-minded in our faith. We must be tough-minded in our f- faith. The first four imperatives of our text, these are all military terms. And the, the readers in the first century to whom Paul writes, they would have recognized these as such. And they also, they, they represent grammatically what we would refer to as imperatives. In other words, they're not suggestions, they are, they are commands. Paul is saying, do this, uh, this is not up for discussion. These are not, something, these are not nice, nice pleasantries that I'm suggesting you might want to consider, but do this. It means they're commands that are intended to be continuing habit patterns, not just something that's done once and forgotten. And notice the, the and we'll look at the, the, the four tough-minded be, uh, commands, and the first one is this, is to be on your guard. It says be on your guard. In other words, watch out. Can you imagine if you could picture in your mind a military sentry uh, posted at the outskirts of of a camp? And you remember the old Western movies, and after the good guys made camp for the night, the first thing they do is decide who's going to stand guard, and they take turns watching so the others can sleep in safety. And this term is used nearly two dozen times in the New Testament, often in. In, in, in reference to anticipating Jesus' return and the judgment that is to come. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew twenty-four, forty-two through 44. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know what the day, uh, when the uh, 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 I'm sorry, on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And and then consider Paul's call to spiritual alertness in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6. He says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters... Are, are, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do, not, uh, we, I gotta, we, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So why, why must we stand guard? For the same reason that a, a military camp or uh, post sentries there are enemies to watch for. Make no mistake about it, there are spiritual enemies that, that each one of us as, as Christians and every church must be alert to. And for throughout 21 centuries of existence, the existence of the Church of Jesus Christ, Christian thinkers have, have described these three primary enemies of the Church in these terms as the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you find a, a church or a believer wounded and hurting today, it's always one or more of these same enemies that have broken through our defenses. And so Paul says, stand guard, stay awake. There's this unbelieving world around you that neither knows or cares uh, to know the ways of God, and this, this world that's around you is waiting in the shadows, even under, sometimes under the guise of religion. Yes, even Christianity. Yes, even so-called evangelical Christianity. And Satan, the enemy of our souls, is ready to pounce on God's people. And our flesh, our humanity, our old habit patterns, our old predisposition to sin and disobedience, all these things are ready to take over at a moment's notice. So command one is for tough-minded faith, be on guard. Then he goes further. He says, secondly, stand firm in the faith. He doesn't say stand firm in your faith. That's part of it. But stand firm in the faith. Um, This is the military metaphor continues. A sentry, S-E-N-T-R-Y, a military guard, if you will, stays alert to anticipate an attack. But once a battle is engaged, once an attack ensues, good soldiers must hold their positions. They must not give an inch. Their, their orders are to hold back the enemy and keep their guard. And the phrase, the faith, stand firm in the faith, is the com- uh, this command refers not to the act of believing, but to the object of our belief. Okay? So again, he doesn't say stand firm in your faith. It's not in the act of believing, but the object of your belief. Jude 3 uses this same phrase this way, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. To contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. Now, this distinction is important because today many folks have given up standing firm. In the faith and replace that with something else. And you you may have heard this idea, it it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And I would submit to you this morning that that's nonsense. The Christian faith is not about believing whatever you want. It's about believing the truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. It is not our believing in the sense of being religious or superstitious or sentimental or even being what we might term as spiritual. It's not that which saves us, but it's our trusting in the right object. The living God is revealed in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And for that, Paul says, we must stand firm. And earlier, in the, uh, Paul had outlined that faith in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He said this, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firm, firmly to the word I preach to you. He says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the faith, okay? He says, and that's what I passed on to you. And then in Ephesians 4.14, Paul describes the results of standing firm in the truth of God's word, standing firm in the faith. He says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. At Corinth, such firmness of faith was needed because there were those who who thought and who taught that ecstatic experiences and spiritual visions were more important than what was believed or taught or lived. That's why there was so much confusion about basic Christian conduct and the basic content of the gospel in 1 Corinthians. Some thought that it was how you believed not what you believe that mattered most, and the same challenge exists for us today. What, what is it for which we must stand firm? I think uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, outlined it as, uh, uh, as well uh, as anyone five hundred years ago when he he trumpeted this series of of solas in the Latin: sola scriptura, sola. Well, let me let me put them in English here. Uh, These three solas are onlys uh, for which true believers must be willing to stand and sometimes even do battle, and they're particularly worth noting today. And the first one is sola scriptura, scripture only. In other words, God's revelation and the content of our faith are grounded in the word of God alone and not in human traditions or worldly wisdom or claims of personal spiritual visions and enlightenment, scripture only. Number two, Christ alone, Christ only. We become God's children and receive the promise of heaven and the forgiveness of our sins only because of what Christ did for us on the cross. There's no other Savior, and there's there's salvation in none other. And then thirdly, faith only. We appropriate the blessings of Christ's death and walk in the ways of Jesus by faith. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't buy it. Our relationship with God is a gift of grace received by faith. And if you understand the implications of these three truths, Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, then you begin to understand what it is we must stand for as we move forward into these uncertain times. So be alert, stay awake, be on guard, stand firm. Don't give away an inch of the faith. Hold your and then the third tough-minded command is this, and it may sound a little strange to our ears, particularly in the original language, but it's simply is rendered in the NIV, be courageous. The idea is really important to us. The NIV says be courageous. The King James Version renders this phrase like this, quit you like men. The Revised Standard Version came along a little later, and it says simply as the NIV, be courageous, the Living Bible, uh, which is... A, An older paraphrase said, act like men. And then there was an older translation by a guy named Moffat, and it said this, play the man. Now, we're trying to be gender inclusive here. Uh, Aristotle used this phrase to describe the preferred balance between fear and recklessness. So what it describes is serious, measured battle conduct. Now, let's see if we can find the progression here telling all you ladies to, be, to, to man up here, right? But, but let's follow the progression. Number one, the sentry stands guard. When under attack, the soldier holds his ground. And in the midst of an all-out assault, the warrior must be brave, even heroic. In the battle, he's saying, be a man. Or as we would have said maybe a decade or so ago, man up. The sense in this context can actually be cut in a couple different directions. Follow me here. And both of these have, have relevance. First, Paul is calling, in the language, he's calling for masculine courage. And it's not that females can't be just as courageous, the truth of the matter. is just a lot of you guys have more manly courage than us men do. Uh, but in the normal s- of s- scope of life, historically, the warriors, despite our modern situation, uh, uh, w- w- uh, the battles were fought by men. And in the midst of Uh, And and, and so, in the midst of spiritual attack, he's saying, stand up, be counted, don't run and hide, stand and fight, act like a man, act like a trained warrior, you know, not a wimp. That's the first sense of this. But there's another meaning, particularly as we see it in 1 Corinthians. The, The concept can carry the idea of be a man, not a boy, and not a child. In other words, In this sense, the call is to adult behavior. And in that call, it's just as applicable to women as it is to men. In other words, grow up, stand up, be an adult. And this was a challenge that Paul raised more than once in 1 Corinthians. Just like a man acting like a coward is is, is a pathetic thing, so is an adult behaving like a child. Amen? And that was actually what was happening at, at Corinth. You might recall Paul's words in, in uh, chapter 3 of 1 of, of, uh, Corinthians. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy, jealousy rather, and quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Matter of fact, in chapter 14, verse 20, Paul writes this. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in regard, but rather in your thinking, be adults. How do adults behave when they're acting like children or being childish? Obviously, some children be have like perfect little angels, right? But, you know, your kids, right? Sure, right? But 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 somebody else's kids, baby's kids, we all know what childishness means. Mean, selfish, loud, uncontrolled, undisciplined behavior, shouting, inappropriate, talking, acting, behaving. Kids will be kids, and we expect that. But when adults act like children, that's a whole different issue. I love my grandsons, and I have to remember that Maximus, my oldest grandson, is not yet five, and Orion's not yet two, and they are are, are smart little kids, and they're nice little kids and sweet little kids, but they're kids, and so I understand their childish behavior because they're children, but when adults act like kids, it's a whole other thing. And so this, this is at least part of what Paul is calling the Corinthian believers to do, to, to start thinking like adults. In other words, to start thinking of, of others, to stop fighting, to stop demanding their own way right now, and to start thinking before talking or acting. You know what one of the first words that Orion has learned to use with regularity? I'll give you is a simple word, mine. And if he has something in his hands and you take it, mine. A lot of words he don't know, but he knows that word. And that's the way children think. This is mine. You get yours. Paul is saying, stop acting like infants. Start thinking about other people. Start loving other people. Stop fighting. Stop demanding your own rights. Start thinking before you speak, before you act. So the fourth imperative is also a military imperative, Next one says, be strong. He says, be courageous. You got a sense of manly courage, if you will, or adult behavior, but now he says, be strong. And I think the emphasis here is on keeping up the fight as long as needed. Now we we're all engaged in some battles right now in the season of our lives, right? And we've got challenges. Some of those battles are spiritual because sometimes the boredom and the, and the pointlessness and the, the sameness of everyday life right now, the uncertainty, those things are what they are. But the enemy uses those things to begin to, to bring spiritual attack in our lives. And we're, st- we're fighting a good fight. We're on our guard. We're standing firm in the faith. We're 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 being courageous. But the other call is to be strong. That means we keep on fighting as long as needed. Real battles, spiritual and physical, are seldom won in a day. How many of you know that's right? Perseverance is what often wins where simple skill and energy are depleted. Perseverance wins the day, and you see the progression, progression. Progression is clear here. Sentries, be on your guard. When attacked, hold your ground. In the heat of battle, be courageous and heroic, and above all, stay the course. Don't give up. Stay strong. There's a word for somebody here this morning. The Lord would say, stay strong. Don't quit. Don't give up. Interestingly, this term is the only command in this this series that is in the passive voice, grammatically rather than being in the active voice, which implies this. Get this, this is important, that strength is not something we do or generate out of our own ability. It is something that we will receive from outside of ourselves. So we could say, and we could render like this, be strengthened. And and this is the emphasis of Scripture. The spiritual strength that you and I need to stay the course in God is not our own strength, but it is his strength. Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 18 18 through 20. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. A little later on in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, when Paul calls his readers to put on the armor of God and be ready to do battle, he begins by saying this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the same message that the Lord gave to the prophets in Zechariah 4.6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Living out our faith moving forward will require a total dependence on God. We've got to call upon his strength daily. Our enemies are too great and the obstacles are too large for our natural strength. Only the supernatural will do. And the good news is this, that such supernatural strength is ready and available for all who desire it, for all who will ask for it. And so be alert. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Remain strong. Be strengthened. These are tough words for tough times. But wait a minute. If this toughness were all there is, then the church can easily turn into a mean, harsh, legalistic, fighting fellowship that no one wants to be a part of or remain with. And some sects of Christians, some sets of Christians, some communities of believers are kind of like that. They got a whole lot of fight but nothing else. And the winsomeness or the attractiveness, if you will, of the church comes from this, the proper balance of tough-mindedness and tender-heartedness. And so that takes us to Paul's fifth imperative imperative in this list. And the first four establish that we must be tough-minded in our faith, right? Be alert, stand firm, be courageous, remain strong. But the last one, reminds us that we must be tender-hearted in our fellowship. We must be tender-hearted in our fellowship. And he says this, do everything in love. That's the admonition. The Corinthians had heard this before, but they needed to hear it one more time. As Paul is getting ready to conclude this letter, they need to hear it one last time. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul made the case for love regardless of what abilities, spiritual abilities, spiritual gifts, or what position one had or thought they had in the church. He he basically gives them the the reality that there is no excuse for not loving. 1 Corinthians provides the context of this kind of love. And and uh, among the church at Corinth, there was a whole lot of unloving behavior they were a divided and a fighting and a warring church amongst themselves. And they, they, they seem to have justified their, their lack of love by who they were and who their enemies were and what they had or what or what they thought they knew. One of the problems with Christianity in our country today, if we want to define ourselves by what we're against and what, what culture wars we're fighting and, and, and what we don't believe in, rather than what we do believe in, and, and what good we can bring to the world through the love of God in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what they thought. We've got spiritual gifts. We've got the Holy Spirit. We can speak in tongues. We we can prophesy. We can dance and shout all of them down the aisles, if you will. We've got our spiritual leaders. We've got we've got our smooth tongue orators to, to to keep us informed and entertained. And so we can be cutthroat, and we can be crude and rude and, 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 and unkind to each other because we've got, we've got the stuff. And Paul says, no, that's not, how, that's not the way this thing works. And again and again, Paul insists, he says that possessing spiritual, special spiritual abilities and gifts, seeing visions or dreams or having wealth or knowing more than somebody else, being in church or even being right, it's no excuse for not loving. In other words, do everything in love. In other words, in all things, love. And so, as you recall, Paul describes what this love looks like in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, beginning at verse 4. He says, he writes to them, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered." Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let me tell you what living out our faith in these challenging times will require of us. We must love God more than we love our own preferences. We must love our neighbor and care about his or her needs more than we love ourselves. Because Paul said, love does not seek its own. We must love in our giving. Selfish, stingy, self-protective greed will never do. Only self-sacrificing love will suffice. We must love in our forgiving. This getting even telling folks off, talking back, angry encounters, none of this will accomplish the purposes of God. We must love our brothers and sisters even when they are wrong. And we must love the lost around us. Because it's only when people are loved and know it will they even care about what we believe. And it's one of the biggest cliches of the last several years, but... It is nonetheless true. People want to to know how much you care before they care how much you know, know, right? Something to that effect. Or people don't want to uh, uh, know. uh, People don't care how much you know. They they want to know how much you care. And it's true. Only when people outside of the church see people who love, who genuinely love one another unconditionally all of the time, might they. Now, make no mistake about it, love isn't easy. If it were, there wouldn't be so much hate in the world. And guess what? Most of us know this. When you love everyone, uh, you love others rather, not everyone will love you back. Love involves words, but not just words. Love is never something that that you can grow, grow too old or too spiritual to have to work on. All of us have to work on love. It is a lifelong assignment, and we keep working on it. So let's wrap it all up in the next couple of moments here. Here you have Paul's final exhortation in 1 Corinthians. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Here we have tough words for tough times. But these are words of life. The task before us undoubtedly is not an easy task. The challenges we face, I can't guarantee you that, our, that, it, that, it, that it would get better before it gets worse. I can't make any guarantee to you about what your, where your road might take you or where life may lead you. I just know this, that living out our faith in a way that will honor and glorify God and bless us and bless others around us, it will require of us the best that we can bring to the table. And in, this, in these two verses, Paul, ex- I think, expresses for us the best attributes that we can bring to the struggle. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Grace family, these are our marching orders. Tough words for tough times. Let's take them to heart. And by the grace of God and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, let's live these words out in our life.